Good morning. Today is Monday, the 29th of July, 2019. Um, we are reading today Psalms 56 and 57, maybe 58, 2 Samuel 2, 1 through 11, Acts 15, 36 through 16, 5, and Mark 6, 14 through 29. Today we commemorate Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and the first ordination of women to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church. Pretty cool, right? Okay. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Mother, to set forth her praise, to hear her holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. And so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship her, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by her infinite goodness and mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, let our mouth proclaim your praise in your glory all the day long. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Our God is glorious in all the saints. O come, let us worship. O God, you are my God, from break of day I seek you. O God, you are my God, eagerly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a barren and dry land where there is no water. Therefore I have gazed upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power and your glory. For your loving kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall give you praise. So will I bless you as long as I live, and lift up my hands in your name. My soul is content, as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips, when I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my helper, 
and under the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. O God, you are my God. From break of day I seek you. Psalm 56 Be gracious to me, O God, for people trample on me. All day long foes oppress me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many fight against me. O Most High, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I am not afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they seek to injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps. As they hope to have my life, so repay them for their crime. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will retreat in the day that I call. This I know, that God is for me. God, in whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I am not afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? My vows to you I must perform, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling. So that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills God's purpose for me. She will send from heaven and save me. She will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send forth her steadfast love and her faithfulness. I lie down among lions that greedily devour human prey. Their teeth are spears and arrows, their tongues sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and, <laughs> awake, o harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 58, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge people fairly? 
No, in your hearts you desire wrong, you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked go astray from the womb. They err from their birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. Like grass, let them be trodden down and wither. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the untimely birth that never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when they see vengeance done. They will bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. People will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Second Samuel 2, 1 through 11. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? He said to Hebron. So David went up there, along with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David brought up the men who were with him, every one with his household, and they settled in the towns of Hebron. Then the people of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the people of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the people of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I too will reward you because you have done this thing. Therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbael, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanam. He made him king over Gilead, the Ashurites. Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbael, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. That the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle C, the Song of Hannah. My heart exalts in you, O God. My triumph song is lifted in you. 
My mouth derides my enemies, for I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you, nor any rock to be compared to you, our God. Do not heap up prideful words or speak in arrogance. Only God is knowing and weighs all actions. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the weak are clothed in strength. Those once full now labor for bread. Those who hungered now are well fed. The childless woman has borne sevenfold, while the mother of many is forlorn. God destroys and brings to life, casts down and raises up, gives wealth or takes it away, humbles and dignifies. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the rulers and inherit a place of honor. For the pillars of the earth are God's, on which the whole earth is founded. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Acts, chapter 15, verses 36 through 16, 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul, all, Paul went on also to Derb and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Simothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyratia and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle R, A Song of True Motherhood God chose to be our mother in all things, and so made the foundation of his work most humbly and most pure in the virgin's womb. God, the perfect wisdom of all, arrayed himself in this humble place. Christ came in our poor flesh to share our mother's care. Our mothers bear us for pain and for death. Our true mother, Jesus, bears us for joy and endless life. Christ carried us within him in love and travail until the full time of his passion. And when all was completed and he had carried us so for joy, still all this could not satisfy the power of his wonderful love. All that we owe is redeemed in truly loving God. For the love of Christ works in us. Christ is the one whom we love. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And, Her and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oath 
oaths and for the guests. He did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us affirm our faith together with the Apostles' Creed, found on page 41 of the of Enriching Our Worship, Volume 1. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear our cry, O God, and listen to our prayer. Let us pray. We are going to use the Litany for Healing, found on page 30 of Enriching Our Worship, Volume 2. Let us name before God those for whom we offer our prayers. And we will pause here and offer those prayers silently or pause and say them. I, I, I pause and say the names out loud before God. So God and I are speaking, but their privacy from y'all, no offense, is preserved. So let's do that and come back together. Let us offer our prayers for God's healing, saying, Hear and have mercy. Holy God, source of health and salvation, hear and have mercy. Holy and mighty, wellspring of abundant life, hear and have mercy. Holy immortal one, protector of the faithful, hear and have mercy. Holy Trinity, the source of all wholeness, hear and have mercy. Blessed Jesus, your holy name is medicine for healing and a promise of eternal life. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, descendant of David, you healed all who came to you in faith. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, child of Mary, you embrace the world with your love. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, divine physician, you sent your disciples to preach the gospel and heal in your name. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, our true mother, you feed us the milk of your compassion. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, son of God, you take away our sin and make us whole. Hear and have mercy. Jesus, eternal Christ, your promised spirit renews our hearts and minds. Hear and have mercy. Grant your grace to heal those who are sick. We pray to you, O God. Hear and have mercy. Give courage and faith to all who are disabled through injury or illness. We pray to you, O God. 
hear and have mercy. Comfort, relieve, and heal all sick children. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Give courage to all who await surgery. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Support and encourage those who live with chronic illness. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Strengthen those who endure continual pain and give them hope. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Grant the refreshment of peaceful sleep to all who suffer. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Befriend all who are anxious, lonely, despondent, or afraid. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Restore those with mental illness to clarity of mind and hopefulness of heart. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Give rest to the weary and hold the dying in your loving arms. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Help us to prepare for death with confident expectation and hope of Easter joy. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Give your wisdom and compassion to healthcare workers, that they may minister to the sick and dying with knowledge, skill, and kindness. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Uphold those who keep watch with the sick. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Guide those who search for the causes and cures of sickness and disease. We pray to you, O God, hear and have mercy. Jesus, Lamb of God, hear and have mercy. Jesus, bearer of our sins, hear and have mercy. Jesus, redeemer of the world, hear and have mercy. Our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and help us to forgive others who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Compassionate God, you so love the world that you sent us Jesus to bear our infirmities and afflictions. Through acts of healing, he revealed you as the true source of health and salvation. For the sake of your Christ who suffered and died for us, conquered death, and now reigns with you in glory, hear the cry of your people. Have mercy on us, make us whole, and bring us at last into the fullness of your eternal life. Amen. We will pray now special prayers for those who are sick. We are going to use prayers beginning, adapt pray, adapted prayers beginning on page 64 of Enriching Our Worship, Volume 2. May God the Mother bless us, God the Son heal us, God the Holy Spirit give us strength. May God the Holy and Undivided Trinity guard our bodies, save our souls, and bring us safely to God's heavenly country where God lives and reigns forever and ever. Gentle Jesus, stay beside your children through this day. Take away their pain. Keep them safe. Help them in their fear. Make their bodies strong again and their hearts glad. Thank you for your love which surrounds us always. Amen. 
Blessed Jesus, living water, solid rock, uphold your children. Loose the fetters of sickness, break their yokes of pain, and from this land of affliction, lead them home. Amen. Loving God, your heart overflows with compassion for your whole creation. Pour out your spirit on all persons living with illness for which we have no cure, as well as their families and loved ones. Help them to know that you claim them as your own. Deliver them from fear and pain and send your Archangel Raphael to minister to their needs. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Blessed Jesus, in your last agony, you commended your spirit to your Father. We seek your mercy for all children, and especially all of God's children who are dying. May death become for them, as it was for you, a birth to everlasting life. Receive those whom we commend to you with the blessed assurance that whether we wake or sleep, we remain with you, one God, forever. Amen. Merciful God, whose son Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, look with compassion on all who are bound by sorrow and pain through the death of any of your precious children. Comfort us, grant us the conviction that all things work together for good to those who love you and help us to find sure trust and confidence in your resurrection power. Through Jesus Christ, our Deliverer. Amen. In your tender mercies, O God, remember your children who expect or have just received a grave diagnosis. Help them to trust in your goodness and believe that after a time of trial, they shall be established on the firm foundation of your deliverance. Amen. Christ, light of light, brightness indescribable, the wisdom, power, and glory of God, the word made flesh. You overcame the forces of Satan, redeemed the world, and then ascended again to the mother. Grant your children, we pray, in this tarnished world, the shining of your splendor. Send your archangel Michael to defend us, to guard our going out and coming in, and to bring us safely to your presence, where you reign in the one holy and undivided trinity to ages of ages. Amen. Blessed Jesus, in the comfort of your love, we lay before you the memories that haunt your children, the anxieties that perplex them, the despair that frightens them, and their frustration at their inability to think clearly. Help them to discover your forgiveness in their memories and know your peace in their distress. Touch them, O Lord, and fill them with your light and your hope. Amen. I'm also going to pray here a prayer that is found in the Book of Common Prayer for the Victims of Addiction. It's Prayer 56, found on page 831 of the Book of Common Prayer. O blessed, O blessed Lady, you minister to all who came to you. Look with compassion upon all who through addiction have lost their health and freedom. Restore to them the assurance of your unfailing mercy. Remove from them the fears that beset them. Strengthen them in the work of their recovery. And to those who care for them, give patient understanding and persevering love. Amen. O God, our refuge and strength, in these places of unrelenting light and noise, 
Enfold your children in your holy darkness and silence, that they may rest secure under the shadow of your wings. Amen. Strengthen your servants, O God, to go where we have to go and bear what we have to bear, that accepting your healing gifts at the hands of surgeons, nurses, and technicians, we may be restored to wholeness with a thankful heart. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Holy One, you do not distance yourself from the pain of your people, but in Jesus bear that pain with us and bless all who suffer at others' hands. Hallow our flesh and all creation. With your cleansing love, bring healing and strength to your children. And by your justice, lift us up, that in the body you have given us, we may again rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord Christ, you came into the world as one of us and suffered as we do. As we go through the trials of life, help us to realize that you are with us at all times and in all things, that we have no secrets from you, and that your loving grace enfolds us for eternity. In the security of your embrace, we pray. Amen. God, your loving kindness never fails and your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for giving your children relief from pain and hope of health renewed. Continue the good work begun in us, that increasing daily in wholeness and strength, we may rejoice in your kindness. And so order our lives always to think and do that which pleases you. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Loving God, inspire by your Holy Spirit those who are afraid of losing hope, especially your children for whom we now pray. Give them a fresh vision of your love, that they may find again what they fear they have lost. Grant them your powerful deliverance through the one who makes all things new. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Giver of all grace, we pray your peace, which passes all understanding, for those who are developmentally disabled. Grant that they may always be sustained in love, their gifts honored, and their difficulties understood, that none may add to their troubles. We ask this in the name of the one who comforted those who were troubled in mind, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As I have been, because it's just so wonderful, I'm going to use the prayer attributed to St. Francis, number 62, found on page 833 of the Book of Common Prayer, as our prayer for mission. Lady, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Now also is our time where we may pause for personal prayers. Today we commemorate Mary, Martha, and by extension, Lazarus of Bethany. And we also remember 
that this is the anniversary of the ordination for the for the first women priests in the Episcopal Church. So um, let me read to you what Holy Women, Holy Men has to say. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Bethany are described in the Gospels according to Luke and John as close and much-loved friends of Jesus. Luke records the well-known story of their hospitality, which made Martha a symbol of the active life and Mary of the contemplative, though some commentators would take the words of Jesus to be a defense of that which Mary does best and a commendation of Martha for what she does best, neither vocation giving grounds for despising the other. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, which in John's gospel is a powerful anticipation of resurrection and sign of eternal life for those who claim faith, who claim by faith the resurrection of Jesus. The story of the raising of Lazarus also sheds additional light on Martha. Jesus delays his visit to their home and arrives only after Lazarus is dead. Martha comes out to meet Jesus on the road, and while somewhat terse at first, she is still confident of his power to heal and restore. The exchange between them evokes Martha's deep faith, an acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah. John also records the supper at Bethany at which Mary anointed Jesus' feet with fragrant ointment and wiped them with her hair. This tender gesture of love evoked criticism from the disciples. Jesus interpreted the gift as a preparation for his death and burial. The devotion and friendship of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have been an example of fidelity and service to the Lord. Their hospitality and kindness and Jesus' enjoyment of their company show us the beauty of human friendship and love at its best. And the raising of Lazarus by Jesus is a sign of hope and promise for all who are in Christ. And I'll interject here that it's unclear, and biblical scholars have many different opinions on whether or not the Mary of Bethany the sister of Martha and Lazarus and the Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with fragrant ointment are the same person. There are a lot of Marys in the Bible. And so whether they are or not, I would say that we should commemorate both Marys or both contextual Marys, both context of Mary, something like that today. Generous God, whose son Jesus Christ enjoyed the friendship and hospitality of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Bethany. Open our hearts to love you, our ears to hear you, and our hands to welcome and serve you in others. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. And there are additional readings here if you would choose to read them. We, um, we used the daily office as it stands for today just to kind of keep in line with the liturgy of others, so we're all kind of syncing up. But the particular lessons for today with respect to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Bethany would be, of course, Psalm 36, 5 through 10, Ruth 2, 5 through 12, Romans 12, 9 through 13, John 11, 1 through 7, and 17 through 44, if you would like to read on on your own, which I myself might do. Thank you. I am now going to read from the addendum to Holy Women and Holy Men, which was put out in 2013. The first ordination of women to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church. On July 29, 1974, the Feast of Mary and Martha of Bethany, 11 women deacons were ordained to the priesthood at the Church of the Advocate in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
We are certain that the church needs women in priesthood to be true to the gospel understanding of human unity in Christ, explained the 11 ordinands in a public statement. One year earlier, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church had defeated a resolution to amend the canons on ordination to state that they shall be equally applicable to men and women. A similar resolution in 1970 had also been narrowly defeated. After the 1973 convention, a group began exploring the possibility of ordaining women without general convention action. After months of planning, Merrill Bittner, Alla Bozarth Campbell, Allison Cheek, Emily Hewitt, Carter Hayward, Suzanne Hyatt, Marie Moorfield, Jeanette Picard, Betty Bone Scheiss, Katrina Wells Swanson, and Nancy Hatch Wittig were ordained by three retired or resigned bishops, Daniel Corrigan, Robert DeWitt, and Edward Wells, in the presence of one active bishop, Antonio Ramos of Costa Rica, and a congregation of about 2,000. Following the ordination, a special session of the House of Bishops, convened on August 14, 1974, determined that the ordinations were not only canonically irregular, but also invalid. At their regularly scheduled meeting in October 1974, the bishops affirmed the principle of ordaining women but condemned the bishops who had acted without the church's authorization. A year later, on September 7, 1975, E. Lee McGee, Allison Palmer, Elizabeth Rosenberg, and Diane Tickle were ordained to the priesthood by retired George, Bishop George Barrett at the Church of St. Stephen in the Incarnation in Washington, D.C., Two weeks later, the House of Bishops decried this action as well. On September 16, 1976, the General Convention voted to amend the canons to stipulate that both women and men are eligible for ordination. The House of Bishops determined that each woman ordained before 1977 could function as a priest after a completion of the ritual acts performed in Philadelphia or Washington. I would say my United Methodist brothers and sisters, that there is an example to follow here. I know that your resolution to perform the sacrament of marriage to same-sex couples has been turned down at the, your version of the general convention within the last year. But there is still hope. Keep fighting. Keep fighting as we did. O God, who didst pour thy spirit from on high to bless and summon these women who heard the strength of thy call, we beseech thee to equip, guide, and inspire us with wisdom, boldness, and faith to put our trust in thee always. Hear thee preach new life to thy church and stretch out our hands to serve thee, as thou didst create and redeem us in the name of Jesus Christ, who liveth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God everlasting. Amen. And now I'd like to share some thoughts on our scripture readings. In Psalm 56, I really identify with the psalmist who, in my mind, seems to be saying, God, be gracious to me, because I'm just getting shit upon everywhere else in my life. I think that we all have experienced times like that when it feels like there is no safe place and God on earth, at least, and God is our refuge. 
I think in verse 5 where he's talking about, the psalmist is talking about those who are out to get him basically. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk, etc. So I think there's something to be said for the way that in our culture it's become very hard for people to face themselves. I feel like even harder than it used to be progressively harder to face up to their own shortcomings and suddenly like having a flaw or making a mistake is the end of the world so it's too scary to face themselves so other people or to face their feelings either one so and and we do this so let, let's not let me not be saying the other it's sometimes it's too scary to face or we feel like it's too scary it's really not too scary we can do it with God's help but it's so incredibly It feels overwhelming. So instead of facing our own selves, our own feelings, we kind of project and deflect onto other people. And I think that's part of what was happening with David. And so we can really identify here with the psalmist. But rest assured, God knows, God sees, God keeps count and bottles up all our tears. And transforms them into something, this beautiful, magical elixir is the way I think of it. And so the psalmist and we offer thank offerings. We have gratitude for God even when perhaps we can't see what we're thankful for yet. And Psalm 57 relates that God is the refuge that it's in the shadow of God's wings that we take refuge. And I think it's interesting that he doesn't talk about where the storms come from, just that there is a storm. I was talking yesterday with a friend, and I guess I'll interject here too and say, I'm a day late, like I recorded everything through the St. Francis prayer yesterday morning and then didn't quite get it finished so this is these are thoughts stretching over a couple of days here but I was talking with a friend about that suffering is a part of life and that when we embrace suffering and I think we could learn from some other cultures here like the Buddhists for example now I'm not saying we should all convert to Buddhism don't like go running off that cliff but they do have a very good understanding of the blessing that comes through suffering. And I don't know if we've done that very well in our modern Christian church. I think Paul certainly understood it, but I think we tend to look at it as something to be endured or as somehow a punishment for something we have done. But there are gifts in suffering. There is a gift in the storm, no matter where it comes from or what its genesis is. So I think it's striking that the psalmist doesn't say, here because it it doesn't matter that when you shelter with God under the storm the storm does eventually pass and you reap the blessings from it without without turmoil without shaking up without unsettling it's very difficult for change to happen and when we enter into cooperation with God for that change the change is a transformation Again, as the apostle said, from glory to glory, closer and closer to the people he created, she created us to be. 
So let's be steadfast like the psalmist and let's sing. Let's rejoice. Even if it's in the darkness at the coming dawn. Dare I say, let us enjoy the storm. And I don't mean that to make light of sufferings or troubles. We've, there are sufferings and troubles on this, on this earth that there is no joy in. But there will be joy. And where we can, let's take our joy even in the midst. Psalm 58. Do you, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? And I, I, can, I think that here again, as we have before, we could substitute the word idols. Idols or powers or anything but God. No, they're not fair. The idols that we've made of money and power, they're not fair. They deal out violence. Now this is interesting, verse 3, the wicked going astray from the womb. I personally think that a very reasonable way to interpret this is that there are some who from the time they are born are born into a context that very easily directs them towards these powers of idolatrous nature here on earth, born into all kinds of circumstances. But God is bigger than those circumstances. I think that God can God can change the serpent. But I think here the psalmist is saying, man, these these people are no good. They've done no good their whole lives. Save me from them. Break their teeth so they cannot bite me. Dissolve them. Let them not come to fruition. But I think there's a prayer on top of this prayer. The psalmist is praying for immediate rescuing, right? But what would be even better is rescuing not just the oppressed, but the oppressor. Let us pray for that. God... We understand that sometimes prayers fall on deaf ears because the humans that we are praying to help don't have ears to hear them, but you know, and you have perfect timing and you seize every opportunity. And so God, we pray for you and your perfect will and your understanding that far surpasses ours to rescue, not just the oppressed, but the oppressor, Lord, to wake from the nightmare, those that are acting out violence and lack of compassion and cruelty upon the earth. In the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, I love how this is an ongoing back and forth conversation with David and God. David's like, shall I go up? And then David says, to which shall I go up? And got, you know, and they're back and forth. I love that. I would that we had, and we can have that kind of ongoing conversation with God. 
inquiring and receiving and inquiring and receiving. It's a beautiful two-way conversation. But of course, the houses split here. It's not enough, you know, for David because Abner then calls Saul's son. So Saul's line is resistant, right? Just as um, the white patriarchy is resistant to its legacy dying out, so was Saul's line resistant to its legacy dying out. And there's fraction and dissent. But God can and will bring it back together. And God can and will bring, I mean, I mean that in like all contexts and times. And we should be forces of reconciliation, not division. It's so easy when we believe we're on the side of right to just go hating on the other side, but that's not the way anything gets done. We have to choose a third way. Not begetting violence with violence and not with laying down like doormats, but with active resistance and part of that is intercessory prayer and and I don't mean that in like a by the book, by the rules sort of way. I'm not in case you haven't figured it out, I'm not a very rules sort of person. And so Jacob's humble definition of intercessory prayer is any prayer where we pray on behalf of God's will being done. Whether it be for an institution, a circumstance, a person Whatever it is, when we enter into prayer in cooperation with God's will on behalf of someone or something else, that in my mind is intercessory prayer. And so I think that the more voices we raise up, the larger that passage to God's healing and reconciliatory work in our world is. And I think that's very much what we're called in the church. I was thinking the other day, a friend of mine was just ordained and our priest was saying of her that when asked why she wanted to be a priest, she said to preach God's word. And I thought that was lovely. And I thought, what would I say if somebody asked me why do I want to be a priest? And I believe I would say because I am called to cooperative work with all that I have and all that I am to further reconciliation and redemption within, among, and through the church and our communities throughout the world. I know that's a little jumbled up. I'll refine it as time goes, but it was just an interesting thing to think on. Focusing energy for mission and purpose is important, I think. And I say that as someone, you know, who's just a little before midlife, you know, at 40. Um, I hope midlife for me is at least like 45 or 50. (laughs) I mean, I want to be 100 as long as I'm still doing good work, right? But um, so I spent the first half of my life really not planning. And now I'm starting to plan. I'm starting to become this planner. But you know what? It's better than that because it's it's re-becoming a dreamer too. 
I don't think I dared to dream for a little bit. And so I'm thankful to have that back. Anyway, I digress. Let's talk about Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through chapter 16, verse 5. So here we're talking about another fraction, this time a fraction within the church where Paul and Barnabas are going to go back and visit all the churches that they started, all the believers in all the cities, but they disagree about who to take with them. So they part company and they each choose a companion and they go different ways. And then we hear a little bit about Paul visiting Timothy. And first of all, yikes, adult circumcision. Well, to, and to get him more credibility in the community, like, I have a lot of pause about that. So they go on and they're pretty much giving sanity checks to, um, all the stuff the churches have done in their absence because they're like the elders in the church. And I think that's, I think that's a good idea. Getting some sanity check from some wise people. As you've heard me often say, we shouldn't be only listening to our own voice and we shouldn't only be listening to one other voice either. The more voices of credible sources we can get in our lives, the better. And it's okay if they don't agree and it's okay if we listen to all, some or none of them. I think it's interesting too that Timothy, Timothy's mother is the believer. And then we go on to meet Lydia, who is a, a merchant who sounds like she's the head of her household because after the Lord opens her heart, she gets her whole household baptized and then she has them stay with her. So she sounds like a powerful woman to me. And I would that those of us in positions of power open our hearts to hear from God so she chose, instead of hearing from the idols of wealth and power, of which she was already accustomed, to hearing from God. And so I think sometimes we need to put aside even that which has given us security and comfort in this world and hear from God. And it, it probably shook her community and her household up for her to become a believer and to get everybody baptized and then have these crazy traveling guys to stay with her, you know? So sometimes let's, let's trust and take, let's take the step and faith out of our comfort. I know that sounds simplistic, but it really goes back to that bottom line of living from a place of faith and hope as opposed to the place from fear and scarcity where most of our culture lives. And another friend of mine said to me the other day that, well, you know, but your boss isn't living from that place. Likely because we were talking about work in that context. So that's why I was brought up. Most people aren't. Most people in the world aren't. And that's true. Most people, but somebody's got to start somewhere and I'm going to start with me. And, and the way that I do that is understanding and having compassion because I've been there. I've made terrible decisions from a place of fear and perceived scarcity, right? 
I can have compassion on someone else doing the same thing and I can make an intentional choice not to pass that stress on. So the other day, somebody in my life was stressed and instead of like pushing that away or recognizing what it was and giving it back with love, as another friend would say, I let myself take on that stress and then I passed it on to my kiddo. I picked him up and I was all stressed out. And so it was an important lesson for me that absolutely true. I cannot control other people. I definitely cannot like suddenly wave a magic wand and and everyone else is on board with this whole faith and love thing that I'm trying over here, right? That I'm desperately passionate about. But I can choose to have good boundaries, to have, as Brene Brown would say, a strong back and a soft front and not accept fear, fear and perceived scarcity on me, not accept their stress on me and certainly not pass it on. So it's like a really spiritual, awesome way of the buck stops here, right? And that doesn't mean that I then have to like absorb it. I can either hand it back or I can give it up to God and ask for it to be transformed. And the practical way that looks is I have compassion on the person who's trying to hand off their stress and I assuage whatever their fear is. I help them get comfortable, but I don't like... Me entering into that fear with them doesn't do either one of us any good. So let's say, for example, um, I'm trying to make something up here. Because you guys know my zero fucks philosophy, too. Because, like, if somebody that I give zero fucks about is trying to pass stress off on me, I'm just going to be like, I give zero fucks about you and your stress at this moment. Um, and, and, you know, the thing is, it has to be somebody who either I respect and admire or someone who has legitimate authority over me in my life. And there, I mean, there are other, I, I'm not saying that I don't show compassion to people that I don't respect and admire or people that don't have authority over my life. I just don't take it on. I don't have like invested care in what their perception of me is. That's what I mean by that. Um, so I'll give you two examples. Okay. Someone who has no authority. I don't, you know, like They're not a person of of a position of respect and admiration in my life, but they're someone that I have compassion for, right? Um, And we'll make it like super simple. Let's say that um, someone with a problem comes up to me on my way into church. There's very clearly something not right there, like a mental disability or perhaps an addiction problem. And instead of just like shoving them off and saying, you know, get away from me, I listen. That's the first step to compassion and understanding is listening. Don't make it my problem. I don't have to fix it, but I listen. Then the other thing is, if it were somebody who falls into the fucks category, so let's say like somebody with legitimate authority. Um, Okay, let's say my priest, right? Because legitimate authority that can impact me or my family. I think we could say that my priest has that. So let's say he comes to me and he is like super stressed out and he's got... 
like he's in a pinch for a service that he's got a last minute funeral on Saturday. He really needs altar servers. He asks me if my son can be the acolyte and I can be the, and this hasn't actually happened. This is totally made up and I could be the chalice bearer. But I've got a race on Saturday. So instead of getting like all super stressed out and trying to make it work, which would have been my habit in the past, like, oh, you know, what are the race schedule times? Can I drop jack at the race, come back, serve, race back there? I can do one of two things that are not accepting the stress onto me and then passing it on to Jack, right? Because if I'm racing back and forth in between, <laughs> if I'm racing back and forth in between the race and the church, um, I'm necessarily putting my position, myself in a position to stress and pass that on to Jack, right? Like, so I can just say, no, I can say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not available and leave it. Or if I want to, I can offer some help. Hey, I have a list of who's in town that weekend because I've been making the healing team schedule. Here's who else you might ask and then leave it. But I don't have to take every problem from inception to solution. I don't have to take the stress on myself. And then the other thing that I don't have to do is I can leave that. I can pray on it and then leave it. So like, even if my answer is no, I then don't have to like be churning and chewing that in my mind. I can turn to God for release from that. I can say, hey, can you please help my priest out with this situation and leave it, leave it with love instead of carrying it forward. And I feel like those weren't really good examples, but I hope you kind of tr see what I'm trying to get at. Maybe my mind's a little fuzzy this morning. I had to get up at like quarter past three in order to get my workout in and this, I'm very desperately trying here. So. I'm thankful that you have some compassion on me and I'm sorry to ramble so much. And with that being said, I think we probably better move on to our gospel reading, which is Mark 6, 14 through So I kind of hate this story. This is the one where Herodias, the daughter, dances well for her father, King Herod, and as a reward, he says anything you want, and her mother suggests John the Baptist head on a platter. So this to me is like an alternate, like opposite example not to follow. So Lydia was our example to follow, right? The Herodiases are our examples not to follow. And this is another example of maternal sin. So I personally don't believe that people are born evil. I think babies are born close to God and pure and amazing and wonderful um, and godly and without sin. Where I think general generational sin comes into play in my definition of it, of it is that twisted perversion of God's will so that we're moving away from instead of towards God's will that's passed on from generation to generation. And I think this is a, a real example of that. And the mother Herodias passes it on to her daughter Herodias. 
and Herodias, the daughter, did not here have what it took. I mean, she was doing the best she could. That's another thing we need to remember. Is it generally, at any given moment, people are doing the best they can? Doesn't mean it's acceptable. No, but it's the best they can. So, and, and by that, I mean, like, if someone is wounding us, we don't have to, like, stick around within arm's reach, literally or figuratively, to continue to be wounded by them. We can break away. If someone is committing a crime, we, report, we can report the crime. I'm not saying we should tolerate unacceptable behavior. I'm just saying people act within their capability. So the best Herodias could do at that time, and for her survivability, probably, I'm thinking, was to follow her mother's wishes. And so we've then perpetuated, we've taken a life, and the evil is passed from mother to daughter. And it's one example of where that happens or has happened in the Bible, but it happens all the time in our world in many different ways. One of the things I was thinking about the other day is the way my mother passed on to me this toxic female competitiveness. Talk about from a place of fear and scarcity. Some of the things that she taught me were walking in a room and comparing myself with everyone else. Comparing, like looking at myself and not being able to see anything but my flaws. Like all of these things that were brought up in our culture as women tear each other down instead of building each other up. And we enter into collusion with each other only against a common enemy. Like it's kind of this particularly female strain of groupthink or mob mentality. And we've got to stop that. We've got to, we've got to be different. We've got to start lifting each other up. And there are some women that do it really well. And I think we should use them as examples, but Lydia here is the example to follow. She looks outside her earthly sources of, of power and comfort and turns to God. Herodias looks to, and out of a place of fear and perceived scarcity, right? Because she feels like John is threatening her existence as the queen or as the, um, gosh, yeah, as the queen. She, she takes John's life. She actually does even worse. She convinces her daughter to have John's life taken. Think about the poor soldier who got ordered to take John's life. And there's another case where someone could have, <clears throat> disobeyed the order of the earthly authority because it was wrong and evil and stood up and said, this is not okay and I'm not doing it. And he probably would have been beheaded instead. But I think there comes a point where we really have to take a stand because what's more important? And I think that's where this life just being one part of eternity comes into play. If we believe in something that comes after, if we believe in an immortal soul, then it is more important to keep our integrity and our righteousness than it is to keep our earthly lives. And that's the place of faith and love. It's, it's also a prioritization, which comes first. In the case of the soldier, he chose surviving here on earth over the eternally right thing, I guess is the way I would put it, if that makes sense.
So those are the thoughts that I have on the readings. Thank you for bearing with me. I really feel like I've rambled a lot today. But hey, I'm doing the best I can in this moment too. So thanks, guys. I'm going to wrap this up. And I hope that you all have a wonderful day. Thank you for being here with me in this prayer that spanned two days. <laughs> Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lady, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. We live without fear, for our Creator has made us holy, has always protected us, and loves us as a good mother loves her children. We go now in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with us always. Amen. <laughs>